Discipline has nothing to do with reaching your goals. I'll explain why I'm so passionate about that. And then Gen Z is officially going to outnumber the boomers in the workplace next year. What does that mean? Then we'll talk working with friends. Helping you win in your work life. This is the Ken Coleman Show. I'm Ken. Okay, it is that time of year um, where we start thinking about what are we going to do this year? We're going to grow? All right, hello. What are we going to do? What are my goals? What are my resolutions, right? And so I want to take a different approach on this, and I'm going to use the support of a professional friend who I've had the opportunity to work with, James Clear, the author of the Runaway Bestseller, and it stays on the bestselling list, Atomic Habits. But I want, before we get into this, to let you off the hook. I'm going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to stop shaming, blaming myself for not being disciplined enough to reach the goals that I've previously set, and I'm not quite there. And we're going to start with the fact that I don't have the discipline problem that I think I do, and you don't have the discipline problem that you think you do. It's something deeper. Now, let me explain uh, an area where I have some discipline, but not great discipline. This is this is painful, guys. The guys in the booth are gonna make fun. We got a lot, of, a lot of young guys in there. They're in shape. They're they're in the prime of their life. This area for me is working out. I played a lot of sports in school. I I, I was an athlete at, at a time. I'm still a pretty decent athlete. Pickleball. By the way, I should point out, Alex, that uh, I I'm 49. I don't. I'm not ashamed of my age. But I have I've recently gotten into pickleball. I was playing pickleball this uh, last Sunday. We had a nice sunny day, about 55 degrees. So, boom, I'm out there. And I am intentionally playing with better pickleball players because I want to get better. So, anyway, playing with a young guy, and he knew someone that was a coworker here. And which makes him, I think he's about 29 years of age, and he's super athletic. He's tall, unbelievable wingspan. And so we st- we met each other because we were playing against each other, and then many times you'll just rotate, and so we get paired, and we played a couple games together, and we won. And so you build a little bit of a kinship there. All that to say, I made some little comment like, man, sure is nice to play with the young guys, you know, and you're in your middle age, and he kind of looked at me funny, Alex, and he goes, how old are you, man? And I was already flattered. Because he was kind of like, you shouldn't be making the old man joke. And I go, I'm 49, man. I go, probably old enough to be your dad. You know, just made some stupid comment like that. And he goes, bro, you're you're in phenomenal shape. The way you move for 49 year Of course, now, in his mind, in all defense of his comment, he thinks 49 is ancient. So he's probably expecting me to be out there with the walker in one hand and the paddle in the other. Here's my point. I'd like to be in better shape. I'd like to work out more. But let me tell you what I do. I don't plan well for the gym. I mean well for the gym. Does that make sense to everybody? I don't plan well. I mean well. And so what happens is I kind of go, all right, I think I'll work out today. And then, you know, my wife will come up with something I got to do or one of the kids or whatever. And because I've not planned well, my mean well goes out the window. The other thing that I do, and this is all going to come into clear focus, I get to the gym, I got the phone, and I go, okay, I've been working out my whole life. 
But I kind of go in and I go, all right, let me do a little chest exercise here. So I get down, you know, knock that out. I go, I need to do some tries. And I do some tries. You know what I'm talking about? And then I get a little distracted on the phone, you know, and uh, start talking to somebody in the gym, a neighbor. Hey, hey, what's going on, man? And and then, oh, oh gosh, uh, what was I? Oh, I got to do shoulders. Now. And I run out of time. And it's not a great workout. It's an okay workout. Am I not disciplined? Previously, I would say yes. But according to James Clear, it's not discipline. Discipline is not my issue or lack of discipline. And by the way, I could give you more and more examples from my life. I'm just using this one example. Do you know what my issue is? According to James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, my issue is that I have a poor system. So I get to the gym. I don't have a system. I'm just like, well, I'm going to do a little chest. I'm going to do a little tries. I'm going to do some shoulder workout. And I'm, I'm not, I don't have a system, meaning I don't go, all right, I got to knock out this exercise in the first seven minutes, and then I got to get the next exercise. So, so here's what happens. A lack of system means that I'm not being effective. It's not the discipline. It's the system. Another part of this example, I'm not going, look, I'm going to work out every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday at this time, and that's a system of my life, and so I'm going to plan my life around it. That's the problem. So, instead of shaming yourself for not having enough discipline, we've got to start paying attention to our systems. And then we say, okay, if I could figure out a system, then I'm going to have better habits and thus the idea of greater discipline and greater results. So I want to go to just a portion. I got two clips of my previous conversation with James Clear on the Entree Leadership Podcast. I was host of that show for many years. And so I want you to listen to him talking about the idea that a bad system is the root of bad habits. Watch this. The standard narrative about habit change, uh, success, performance improvement, achieving a goal is that you need to set a goal and that you need to try really hard. And if you haven't achieved that, then it's because you don't have the willpower or the grit or the perseverance. And we tell ourselves these kind of internal narratives all the time too, you know, like, oh, maybe if I really wanted it, then I'd achieve it. But what you find is that the deeper you study human behavior, the more that you see that so many of the actions we take each day are simply a response to the system that we find ourselves inside. And so the argument that I make in the book is that what you need to change is not necessarily your goal, but your system. Uh, and the phrase that I'd like to use is we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And so if you can restructure the system or the environment you find yourself in, whether that means changing your physical environment. So we can talk some about that, like the things on your desk at work or your kitchen counter at home changing your social environment, the people that you're surrounded by and the habits that are normal in your particular tribe, whatever that group happens to be, changing your approach and the habits you're asking yourself to build so you can keep your uh, lofty ambitions and goals, but breaking them down into something that's easy to do. And uh, finally, selecting a strategy that fits well with your particular makeup, with your personality, your genes, uh, your circumstances, so that you essentially match your environment uh, to your natural strengths. And all of those are examples of a way to build a better system, of mm -hmm. a way to create um, a system that promotes good habits effortlessly 
and uh, sort of lets you achieve your goals as a natural consequence of being in a good system rather than saying it's all about the goal. Let me focus on this milestone and work hard toward that. I love this. This is all psychological. I mean, you could break down the entire Atomic Habits book to that basic thought, which he shared, and I'll repeat it for you. We fall to the level of our systems. In other words, our lack of achievement is a function of we don't have a good system in place. So our want to, our meaning, it falls short if we don't have a system. And so the scheduling, the prioritizing, the putting a plan in place, a process, you can use whatever word you want to along with system, that's the idea. And that's the game changer for life change. Now, I I did a follow-up on that question, and it was just simply the psychology of all this. What happens to our state when we fight for those small wins? What does it do for us? Watch this. One of the most effective feelings, one of the most motivating states is the feeling of progress. Yeah. And if you're focused on uh, feeling guilty, blaming yourself for not improving, feeling like, oh, I'm not able to build better habits because something's wrong with me, that's not a very uh, productive state to be in. Whereas if you shift it and say, all right, the problem is not me, the problem is the system. And if I'm going to change the system, then I can do X, Y, and Z. And we can talk about a variety of those strategies. But each time you do that, you take action and you build progress and momentum. And so I, I think it is a much more productive way to approach the process of change because it gives you something to actually work on. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the rest of these strategies, a lot of the time it's about stuff like, uh, you know, think positive or fake it till you make it or stuff like that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Like certainly if you want to think positive, it sounds better than thinking negatively. Um, but my focus is much more on practical action steps. How can we make the process of behavior change actionable and give you something that to do to design a system where you're more likely to succeed? And so I think that's just a better place to spend your time and energy. Folks, this is not just some simple little hack. This is life-changing stuff. Why? Because what James is talking about there, the idea of progress, you know what progress does for us when we check something off the list, even if it's the smallest of things, we said this is part of a process or a system, we get it done. You know what it does? The brain rewards us with dopamine. So if you figure this out, you understand then that your body will then begin to reward yourself and you don't have to have all the discipline. That's the magic of the habit. That's where it comes from. So I've said this before. I'll say it again. We are creatures of progress. We're wired for progress. And the more progress we experience, the more momentum we experience. And now all of a sudden we're unstoppable because we crave that progress and momentum chemically. Our bodies are wired for this. Really good stuff. I want to thank my friends at Entree Leadership, my co-workers, letting us use that clip uh, from my past in the Wayback Machine. Really good stuff. That'll help you this year and the years to come. Hey, high school seniors and parents of high school seniors, it's almost graduation time. And if you're not sure about next steps, I want you to listen to this. Coding skills are essential in today's workforce. And my friends at Bethel Tech can help you start a new career really fast and do it cheap. It only takes nine months to complete a Bethel Tech course in UI, UX design, full stack development, data science, or cybersecurity. And your young person can get over a thousand hours of experience in a collaborative environment 
and then get placed. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $66,000. And the field is projected to grow by 22% over the next five years. Software development is a career with an enormously bright future. And right now, Bethel Tech is offering you 10% off if you watch or listen to The Ken Coleman Show and you pay cash. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman. BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman right now for details. Terms and conditions do apply. to the Ken Coleman show. Okay, I want to talk about a trend in the workplace that uh, that I think if you're not prepared for this, it's going to rock your world. And I I don't think I'm being melodramatic, Alex. I really don't. Here's what here's the headline. Gen Z is expected to overtake boomers in the workplace this year. 2024 some of you are going, uh, wow, Ken, you should probably have a more exciting life if this gets you fired. No, listen to me. I'm going to break this down for you. Okay, whether you are in management or uh, high up the chain in leadership or you uh, are just, I go in, I work, I'm not in leadership at all. This affects everybody in the workplace. I have been saying that the world of work, the way we do work, is going to change dramatically. I'm not, I don't know if it's for the better I don't know. And I think anybody that says they know is foolish. But let's break some things down here. This is fascinating. This is a CNBC article that I'm pulling from. Um, What does that mean? Well, when the boomers are, by the way, they are 60 to 78 this year. So the boomer generation is from age 60 to 78 right now. So obviously, many are reaching retirement, and that is just speeding up each year. Now, Gen Zers are aged 12 to 27 right now. So obviously, you cut that in half, uh, roughly, not quite, but you got your 22. So you got the top half of Gen Zers are in the workforce. But again, with each succeeding year, 2025, 2026, I mean, the, it is, it is. you're seeing the full evaporation, if you will, with each year more evaporation of the boomers. And now you're seeing more Gen Zers. And employers, leaders, managers are going to have to respond to this because they're very different. And because they're very different, the expectations are different. Um, this is substantive. Now, let's talk about Gen Z. They have a preference that employers show the social impact of the company. They want upward mobility. They are not wired like the boomers who were content. Many of the boomers were content to work basically in the same job for 30, 35 years. They followed in the footsteps of their parents, the greatest generation. I'll just use my mom as an example. My mom, you're not going to believe this, Alex. I've never told you this. My mom, pastor's wife, she had to go work because my dad made no money at all. Pastored a small church under 100 people. Never made more than $30,000 his whole life. All right? So my mom had to go work. Thank God she did. All right? My mom was a manager of a lazy boy 
the furniture store. You ready for this? 31 years selling lazy boys. That's not, that's never going to happen again. My generation, Gen Gen X, we don't do that. More on Gen X. Little fun, little fun thing on Gen X coming up in just a minute. Little bonus content that Alex doesn't know about, but I think it's going to be great. Uh, Gen Z wants a lot of creativity into their workplace. They want more opportunities to be creative. Remember, they've been designing stuff and making videos on smartphones. They're extremely creative. That has been stimulated for them since they were toddlers. Roblox, you've heard of this game? I mean, that is a, listen, it's a great app and game for your kids because it's creative. Anyway, you get my point. Gen Z values a flat organization. Now, that's business speak. Let me dumb that down. What that means is they don't like hierarchy. They're not impressed with a leadership structure and, well, I report to you. No, they want a voice. They've been told they're special, so they believe it. They want a voice. They want their perspective to be heard. And they want politics at the office. They like talking politics. Woo! Boy, do they like talking politics. They want to see the their politics reflected in the company. That's going to be a, a really harsh struggle. Um, and, and they hold their leadership. They try to hold their leadership accountable to saying what they want to say. I think that's going to be a real problem. That'll hurt. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. They value flexibility as much as they value upward mobility. They want work-life balance. They think flexibility and work-life balance is more valuable than job security. They will leave you. It's pretty fascinating. 73% of Gen Zers are willing to quit their jobs if their manager doesn't provide flexibility, and development opportunities. They want flexibility. They want upward mobility. They also prefer, this is interesting, working in public places like coffee shops. They're more willing to work in the office than millennials and even Gen Xers because they crave companionship. They crave face-to-face communication. And so um, that's going to affect the way that offices are structured. Workplaces, I think you're going to see workplaces of the future feel like coffee shops. No cubes, just come in, pop down. Like Imagine a library being converted into a coffee shop, and instead of it being super quiet, there's a natural buzz going on. I think that's, I think that's going to be a real trend. I think you're going to see that because they, they don't want to be forced to come in, but they want to be around people. It's very fascinating. And so... So here's here's my, again, challenge to leaders. I think this generation is going to do amazing things. I don't think, I'm not going to crap on Gen Z. I'm raising three of them. I think they're freaking awesome. They, they do have different expectations, and I will say this. They have the makings to be an unbelievable force for good because they care deeply about meaningful results. That's good. Channeled properly and led properly, they could change the world for the good. They really can now, I see all these things, by the way, Alex. I saw this funny thing, and i got to just say this real quick. This is bonus content. Because what I don't like is the tension between the generations. Right? And it's always there. But but I, I, am, I am changing my tone on, on this stuff because I want to set what I think is the right 
expectation for how we communicate about generations because there's duds in every generation. But I think when we do this kind of stuff, like I saw a viral video and I didn't send it to you in time, but a kid's on TikTok going, um, everybody's always reporting the news. They're banging on uh, Gen Z and he's Gen Z and millennials. He goes, you know who gets off the hook? Gen X. And apparently some Gen Xers have come in there and been like, okay. And they're responding to this kid. And it's really funny. But here's a couple things about Gen X and Gen X leaders. Okay, they're following boomers, so Gen X is next. And boomers, age 60 to 78, are aging out. So guess what? That means my generation, we're going to be the seniors, the senior you know, level. I mean, we've been around longer, and we got to understand how we're wired differently. And Gen Z needs to figure this out, too. Let me tell you what, I, what Gen X grew up with. You ready? A couple highlights I wrote down. Uh, we fought people in person, not online. There wasn't a comment section to lob an insult. You know what we did? We met in the backyard or in the alley, and we punched each other. There was no insults. You fought people. We had toys with lead in them. We were sucking on cribs that had lead in the rail. We weren't gluten allergic. We weren't allergic to gluten. We ate lead. By the way, my generation, we didn't have a 12-point harness car seat. We sat in the front seat, and that means your parents had to drive better because if they slammed on the brakes, they also punched you in the throat trying to keep you from going into a metal dashboard. Boomers, millennials, Gen X. Yeah, I see the picture. Are you ready for this? If we wanted to play with our friends, Alex... You ready? We went outside and played with them. There wasn't a, we're going to get online and play Fortnite with our friends. You know what you did? You grabbed a wiffle ball bat and a wiffle ball, and you went outside and you tried to hurt each other in a wiffle ball game. Listen, Gen X, we weren't worried about hurting each other's feelings. We were trying to hurt our friends physically. It's a different world now. Let me tell you something else. When we wanted to watch something and we weren't home, guess what we had to do? We had to figure out how to record it on a VCR. And God forbid you had to leave in the middle of a movie because you know what you had to do then? Remember where you left off. And one more. We had dial-up internet when I was in college. Not even as a kid. You know what that meant? If you were at home on the internet and your mom picked up the phone to call her friend, you got kicked off the internet. Gen X, it's time for you to step up and lead. Very different generation with Gen Z. And all of this is converging. And it's going to be chaos in the workplace if we don't begin to understand how they're wired, how they're coming in. And I'm having a little bit of fun at my generation, right? But we can collaborate. The best of each generation together means a great workforce. So there you go. I'm positive about it. I don't think it has to be a crisis. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into should you have really good friends at work? And why? All right, should you be friends 
with your coworkers. Now, let's delineate what I'm asking. I didn't say, should you be friendly with your coworkers? That, of course, you should be friendly. But a lot of people online these days are having these conversations. No, I don't want to be friends. I want to leave work at work, and I'm just going to come in and do my job, kind of stick to myself, and 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 blah, 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 blah. And boy, that's not a good thing. And I, I think I'm going to prove this wrong. Got an article here written by Stephen Friedman. And so the, he is a uh, educator, university professor, does a lot of consulting with executives. And he has been doing 20 plus years of um, working with employees, looking at the data. And so he makes a very compelling case that, yes, in fact, you should be friends with your coworkers. And he dives into the research here on this, on this, uh, in this article, and so I want to share it with you because it's really eye-opening. So let's start with about 30% of workers in North America say they have a best friend at work. The rest, 70%, do say they have regular work friends. So that tells you one thing. People that are online on TikTok and Instagram that are getting a lot of clicks and likes because they're going, I don't want to be friends at work. They represent a very, very loud, unhealthy, and angry minority because the data says that they do. Um, And so this is where Stephen Friedman goes into four types of friends or workplace friendships that he believes that you can step into. So your options are, I'm completely isolated, or I have friends at work in these four categories. So here we go. One is the workplace best friend. Obviously, this is a very close friendship. And we get what a best friend is. Um, High levels of trust, honesty, transparency, vulnerability, compassion for each other. The second is what he calls workplace close friendly. These are not best friends, but maybe a level below. You're close, uh, but there's nothing happening after work. Versus the workplace best friend, your best friends at work, outside of work, that's a very different relationship. That's all-encompassing. Workplace close friendly is, I don't do life with them, is how I would say this, outside of the office, but when I'm in the office, boy, I really do value them. Third category, workplace friendly. Uh, This is, you're not going to share a lot, not a lot of disclosure with this one. Uh, Very friendly, Uh, surface level conversation but not deep conversation, not a deep connection at work. Very friendly. Uh, enjoyable, but not deep. And then finally, co-worker acquaintance is the fourth relationship. This is obviously somebody you see, uh, but your interactions are extremely limited to uh, a smile, a nod, how you doing, very brief. And that, that's laid out well. Now, why are friendships at work so important? This is this is research based. When you have good friendships friendships at work, watch what happens. Innovation is enhanced, psychological safety is enhanced, and compassion among coworkers is enhanced, all because of close relationships. Now, what about the boss? Can the boss 
be friends with their team? Unequivocally, absolutely yes. Should they? The research says yes. What happens when a boss, manager, leader fosters the fact that they have to lead, have tough conversations, make tough decisions, but still develop meaningful friendships with the people they lead? If vulnerability increases for both, adaptability grows, and humility grows. Now, let me tell you something. Just think about those three qualities. Vulnerability, adaptability, and humility. If you've got a team, and I'm including the leader in this, where there are high levels of vulnerability, adaptability, and humility, can I just tell you something? That's a that's a team you want to go to war with. They're going to win. They're going to find a way. And by the way, let, let me just pull back for just 10 seconds. Here's a statement. If you don't have people that are willing to be vulnerable, adaptable, and humble, I can also tell you that you won't develop good friendships on that team either. So I'm not sure if this is the chicken or the egg. I kind of think it is. I'm not sure which comes first. I definitely think that friendships allow that. But listen, if you've got a leader who's vulnerable, adaptable, and humble, woof, there's going to be a relationship that develops that's meaningful. Now, workplace best friend relationship. This is the one that's most valuable. I want to come back to these four types really quick. The workplace best friend provides the most benefits. Why? Well, you've got increasing happiness at the workplace, which means you have increased engagement, and increased engagement leads to increased productivity. Ding, 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 ding. We've got a winner. Now, let's talk about unfriendliness. Let's just jump out of the four types of friends and go, I'm that person, Ken. I don't want to be friendly. I don't want to have friends. I largely want to come in, do my thing, and leave. I'm extremely transactional. No relational qualities at all. Well, number one, it makes work for you less enjoyable, which means it's less engaging, which means over time you will be less productive. And what does that mean for you? Physical sickness and professional limits. The more detached and isolated you are in the workplace, and by the way, this goes for leaders too, the more you limit your ability to grow, professionally and up the ladder. You can't be isolated. You could try. Oh, let me say this. You can do it. Anybody who wants to be isolated can be isolated. But it has a lot of detriments that are attached to it. Can I just say heart to heart for a moment for those of you that may be kind of pushing back on this a little bit? You were made to relate. The root word of relationship is to relate. You need to find your people. And to the extent that you can find your people in any area of life, the more rewarding and the more positive it is for your physical, mental, emotional health. Isolation will crush you. And if you spend more time at work than any other place in your life, don't spend it isolated. Some of you, the breakthrough you want this year is on the other side of you saying, I'm going to be friendly and be a friend. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube.
You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.